Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right. How you feeling, man? I forgot you had COVID. I uh, I feel like I went to bowling last night, so, you know. It, it, this one, I'm, I'm telling you, was like it was like a cold. Right. I've had two of them now. And, you know, I'm starting to learn something. Like not having symptoms is a real thing. I could have had more. Yeah. Never knew it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's all good, man. The world goes on. All right. <sighs> but yeah. Uh, still not. I'm still not totally. Um, I'm gonna do a real walk today. See if I can handle it. You know, I mean, kind of wimpy in terms of walking. So got to get back into it. All right, man. How's you doing good? Samantha went back to work today. She had to go back to the uh, post office? No, I mean, no, no. She works from uh, home, but she had to start working again today after three months. Wow, man. Three fucking months. Oh, that's right, the kid. Oh, my God. She's going to be exhausted, dude. You're going to have to cook dinner. I know. I'm ordering groceries right now. <laughs> I'm ordering groceries. I'm, I'm doing delivery because she's got the car. Uh, all right, here we go. I'm writing this down. God, it's 2023. Uh, all right, I sent, right, sent Mr. Bike the info. Oh, shoot, I forgot to text him. You sent him the info? Yeah, tell him I, I emailed him the info. That's how he likes it. Oh, okay. I'm I've gonna, got oh. Hey, Lori. Now, you just calm down, all right? Hi, I'm Lori Lightfoot. All right. We ready? ready when you are. Yes, sir. All right, let me check my mic here. Do, 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 Hello, check one, check two. Got to get back on there. Yeah, for some reason. Uh, I'll If you want to, if you're giving me your Mac, I'll take your Mac. I'm, I, you know, I mean, okay. think twice. I'm not holding you to it. You may want to hold it for, uh, you know, Denise when she hits a certain age. So it's up to you. Ball's <laughs> no, in your court. It's exactly, you know what what, it's exactly what you need. Once I get everything Convert it over to this. I will uh, happily take that Mac if you're giving it. Cool. Okay. But I want you to think long and hard about doing it. <laughs> well, speaking of long and hard, I got to get that porno hey, off hey. of there. Hey, now that is just unacceptable humor, okay? Oh, my <laughs> God. Oh, my God. Where did I see they had a clip of um, your guy, Norm MacDonald? Oh, God. he had, Somebody read this really obscene joke he wrote. Did you see that? Oh, who was it? It'll come to me in the middle of the show. Someone who just died. Oh, he's talking about a, how he went to San Francisco. No. Yeah, who the guy read the joke and broke out laughing in the middle of the joke. <laughs> I can't remember. It'll come to me, but yeah, it was. It's that one where he's sitting. It's the podcast he did at the end of his life, where he he has no cards and guests come on and they read the jokes. Oh yeah, those are the best. Yeah, it was such a scene joke. Oh yeah, no, those that's the funniest work he's ever done. <laughs> and then he's like <laughs> he's so happy. 
Oh my oh god! My god. Fr- Fred Willard is great in Anchorman too. You're not hating on you. Did you get that far? No, no. I can't even oh. remember. It was so long ago. It was like 20 years ago when I saw That's it. That's ridiculous. I was like, That's this is awful. It's not as funny. That's ridiculous. <laughs> all right. So I wait. So I guess we'll just get started. Yeah, let's go. Are we waiting for Doctor? Uh, I, I call him Doctor D too. We're waiting for Doctor Bike. Yep. Oh, there he is. Oh, there he is. Doorbell. Ding dong. <laughs> there he is, Leon Panetta. Is Panetta spelled correctly there? I think so. Look how. Is it possible that one man gets better looking with a new year? I think so. Oh, Mr. Bike. No, Mike. You're on mute. Oh. Hello. Hello. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know what the fuck he's doing. Hello. That's his- there he goes. Nice. He can hear me, but he's pretending like he can't. I'm Chewy Garcia. <laughs> Our next mayor. Uh, I mean, like, we're just getting no response. Oh, he's looking on his computer. He's like, what the hell? It's not a great look, but I could see he's on his computer. <laughs> I know. He's like, huh. Hello. I know you can hear me, Dave Glowatz. Don't act like you can't hear me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there we go. Yeah, they shake his head. means he can hear. He just. What the fuck? Oh, all right. Okay, well, there. what a segment that was. Three, two, one. Ben, New Year. I've got work to do for our city. We got work to do for our city. Just like the Isley Brothers say. Oh. Don't forget that. The Isley Brothers. They stole that line from the Isley Brothers. Come on, Mayor Lori Life. We give credit where credit is due. All right. New Year, new Ben Jarofsky show. And your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, January 3rd, is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Ooh. Teachers Union. Oh, we got a, our doorbell's ringing. It's Jerry oh, Jerry Ryan's door. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry. Uh, Jay, okay. Oh, we're off of mute. That's good. That's a good sign. All right. Nope, you know, we're back on mute. There we nope, go. You're back oh, on mute. Goodness. You're back on mute. Our distinguished guests figure out how to use his computer. Always a good sign of the Mendrowski show. Can you take it off mute and say hey? Uh, he's struggling with that mute. Yeah, I still can't hear yeah. you. Yeah, I still can't hear no, you. No, no, nope. no, 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 no. Not my first rodeo. <laughs> 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 Hello? Nope, nothing, nothing. Or Nope. What? There what? you go. What? There you go. We can hear you. Don't know what happened. All right. Happy New Year. <laughs> all right. It's brought to you by. Wait. Oh, let's just start from the top. All right. Here yeah. we go. I've got work to do. I've got. I've got. All right. Here we go. In three, two, one. <laughs> new year. New Ben Jarofsky show. The show is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink. Concert listings and so much more, including columns. Oh, and pot from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Well, not pot from our very own Ben Jarofsky. He's not. He's not in that game. That's what that sounded like. I'm sorry, but no columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Ben, what's the latest column all about? 
Oh, but I think I will be discussing with young Dave Glowatz when he comes on the show. Uh, we talking about. Uh, I gave a shout out to Lori Lightfoot. Yes, she did hijack that line from the Ozzy Brothers, and yes, she has consistently failed to give them credit, uh, even though she danced with Willie Wilson. Did you see that clip? We put it on yes, our Instagram page. I did see that. Of, yeah, Lori, uh, Lori. Shout out Gregory Pratt, who filmed it. Uh, Chicago Tribune Ace reporter. Uh, a video from 2019 of Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, and Willie Wilson. And, uh, dancing to an old Isley Brothers song. One of Dave Glowatz's favorite Isley Brothers songs. The year was 1978. Young Dave was just out of Weber High School on the northwest side of Chicago, and he was dancing. Groove with me, baby. Uh, we've gotten onto a tangent, but hey, Chicago Reader. <laughs> And if you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J O R A V is in victory. S K Y. It is Tuesday, January 3rd. Happy New Year. And this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. And now your host, New Year, same old dirty bull's hat. <laughs> Chicago Raider columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Marijuana Madigan Tuesday. And here's why. Now, this is the part of the introduction where you should go, uh, Dennis, did you have a great weekend? But, you know, I've learned. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that anymore. Oh, you don't care about me. Okay, great. No, I said that. Oh, wait, you just flipped the switch on me. Because you taught me last year that there's no point. You actually taught me this the first day uh, that I uh, we did this podcast. There's no point uh, in asking what you did over the weekend because it's already two days old. And so I'm, I'm going to learn that would be my resolution. For the new year, even though this is not technically a new year, Salim Muakil, shout out to you. Uh, great essay you wrote on Facebook, and I wrote uh, a newsletter about it. So even though it's really not a new year, it's just a continuation of life that existed already. This arbitrary distinction about years. So let's just throw that out the window, okay? So I'm just saying it's Tuesday. So I'm not going to tell you what I did this weekend, except that I did watch Anchorman 2, and you'll have to wait until Friday. Oh, what a week where Dennis and I have the great Anchorman 2 debate. Oh, I can't wait for that one. My weekend was great. Oh. No. <laughs> Sorry, I'm having trouble letting go. I'm having trouble letting go. Old habits die hard. You were the one who told me not to do it, and now you're going back to bad habits. Old habits die hard. I'm sorry. Yeah. Die Hard, great movie. Uh, anyway, uh, so uh, medical uh, marijuana Madigan uh, Tuesday, and here's why. Great story on the front page. My beloved bright one, the Chicago Sun-Times, home delivered every day. From Madigan to marijuana, Danny Mialopoulos. Shout out, Danny. What a great story by WBEZ's Dan Mialopoulos. As everybody knows, since uh, Bright One and uh, BEZ came together, and I will now do the sound of them connecting together. It's like a space shuttle. Here it comes. Here comes the two parts coming together. They're coming together. They're coming. There, they connect. Much like the Ben Jarofsky Show in and inside Chicago government come together about once a month uh, to do some great city council bits, which we'll be doing today. Anyway, BEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times came together, and as a result, we get to read uh, Dan Mialopoulos' story in The Bright One. So instead of hearing Dan say it on the radio, we hear it on the, we read it in The Bright One. It is a story about uh, Mike Noonan, who's a political operative for Michael Joseph Madigan for many, many years, uh, and has moved on with his life. And he's now a marijuana farmer. I don't know if that's what you call him, but he grows marijuana in Michigan. 
Okay. So my, I knew this, I mean, I didn't know him well. I knew of him and, you know, he's a political operative, a democratic political operative. And most of them stayed the hell away from me, that hippie radical. Uh, and they all hated me because they were all daily people. They worked for Madigan or daily, either one, they didn't like me. So I, I knew who he was, but I didn't know him. You know what I'm saying? We never, t- I don't, we may have talked once on the phone and he immediately went off the record, neither here nor there. I just remember him. He had, he was really proud of his hair. Mike Noonan had really nice like hair and he had it slicked back. His political operative for the Madigan machine. Anyway, reading this story. Now he's growing reefer uh, in um, Michigan and good for him. I'm a big believer in the legalization of marijuana. I have been for years. So, you know, it's, Fine, he's making a living that. I don't have any problem with him making a living growing reefer, but I can't get over this, folks. I don't think I'll ever get over this. So in this tell in the in the in the story, uh Damiopolis uh, interviews uh Mike Noonan, again, one of the chief political operatives for Michael Joseph Madigan, and points out that in nineteen ninety six, nineteen ninety-six, ladies and gentlemen, just think back. That's Dave Gods is doing the math. Thank you, Dave. Twenty-seven years ago. Yeah, or twenty-six. It's kind of early to be to full twenty-seven. Uh Michael Madigan found out that uh, his political operative, Mike Noonan, was uh, a reefer smoker. And according to the uh, article, according to the interview uh, in the Sun-Times, Noonan thought it would cost him his job, but recalled his supervisor in the Madigan organization telling him he would not be fired. And here's the quote from Noonan, quote, I had been a hardworking guy, and I think more importantly, I had been successful for them. Uh, and so the reprimand that I got from my boss at the time was, you've been reported. It doesn't seem to be affecting your work at all. See you tomorrow. Noonan also believes Madigan gave him a pass because he understood that, quote, nobody is just one thing, and people can be good and they can be bad. A lawyer for Madigan declined to comment. I have to tell you, folks, I read that. And I was sickened. And I'll tell you why I was sickened. 1996, 20, what is it? One more time with the math. 26 years ago. Reefer was finally legalized when? 2018? I can't remember. I've lost track of time. 2019? So that meant from the time that Michael Madigan became aware that Mike Noonan, one of his top political operatives, was smoking reefer, we had at least 20 years of locking up black people on the west and south side of Chicago for doing the same thing that Mike Noonan was doing, smoking reefer. 20 years of freaking hypocrisy. I remember when Mick Dumpkin and I started doing those first stories back in 2010, 2011, about the disparity in arrests, like black people getting arrested for something that white people do all the time. And almost every single Democratic elected officials, yes, Democrats, not even Republicans, Democrats were afraid to talk about it, afraid to go on the record. They were like, well, this is really, you know, I don't know. I don't want to look like I'm soft on crime. They all were doing it or knew someone who did it or had done it. And they were looking the other way while this injustice was occurring. I can't get over it. I know, oh, Ben, get over it, Ben. No. Madigan's, one of his top political operatives was smoking reefer. Madigan looked the other way and didn't lift a finger to change the laws. And this is what I always say about Michael Joseph Madigan. I give him credit for fighting Ronner. 
and saving collective bargaining rights in the state of Illinois. Rahm was not going to do it. And Cullerton wasn't going to do it. They're hiding under a table. They were so afraid. They weren't going to take a stand for unions. So always give him credit for that. But he was freaking worthless as a progressive. <laughs> progressive would have thought. He was completely worthless as a speaker on really important issues that affect us. You go on and on with the issues, property tax reform, TIF reform, crime, criminal justice reform, et cetera. But this is at the top of the list. Michael Madigan didn't lead the charge to eradicate the unfair, unjust marijuana laws in the state of Illinois, even though one of his top political operatives was smoking reefer and he knew it. Ah, just as long as you could do your job. Michael Madigan knew, obviously, that there was no reason to have the laws, that there was no direct correlation between doing a good job and, a, and smoking a reefer. That smoking reefer in itself wasn't a bad thing. It's totally acceptable to him to have one of his aides do it. He looked the other way. He didn't care. But for thousands and thousands of black people on, in Chicago, well, throughout the state, really. It was just an excuse to have them locked up. And Michael Madigan looked the other way. All the powers that be did. They're so tough and powerful. And they could force people to do whatever they want. And they could get aldermen and legislators to bow down to them. But take a stand? Like a principled stand for once? Uh-uh. Too scared. And so thousands of black people paid for the political cowardice of the Democratic Party and its leaders in the 90s and the O's. That's a reality, folks. Michael Noonan got away with smoking reefer, kept his job. But if he was a black guy in the west side or the south side, he probably would have been locked up. And, you know, we're heading into an election season, mayoral election. I'm going to be urging everybody to vote. The reality is maybe 35% of the city will vote. 65% won't vote. Again, great math by Ben Jarofsky. 65% 65% won't vote. Why? Because they know it in somewhere in the back of their mind, their government is run by frauds. Afraid to take the stand. See obvious examples of injustice and look the other way because it's politically inconvenient to take that stand. So I know we're supposed to read this article in the Sun-Times and think, oh, it's kind of cool that Michael Madigan's political operatives now found himself a career growing reefer. But, uh, All I see is the fraud, the cowardice of the Democratic Party. And I'm hoping that this is the year. I'm going to accept the calendar year transfer. This is the year where the the Democratic Party takes a stand, even if it's a little turbulent in doing so. All right. Without further ado, I'm going to bring my distinguished guest, uh, Dave Glowatz. He's been very patiently standing by. Welcome back to the show, young Dave. Thank you very much. Happy New Year to you and Happy New Year to Dennis. And I uh, hope everyone's doing well. I, I, uh, I've been hearing about your illness, and I'm glad to hear that you're, uh, you're seem to be pretty much back to recovery. Yes. Thank you for uh, I had COVID. I uh, went to Cali and got COVID. How about that? But yes, I'm much, much better. Thank There's you. There's a song uh, there somewhere. Yes. I went to Cali, got COVID. Uh, and... Uh, so, uh, yes, Dave Glowetz from uh, Inside Chicago Governor, once a month or so, comes on this show uh, with some clips of the city council, which we analyze, we break down, we dissect. And uh, as true to our code, uh, I am not privy to these clips. And 
I do not know. Ladies and gentlemen, my I'm got my hand raised in the air. I do not know what Dave Glowatz has uh, in store for me. So I'll turn things over to you, young Dave, and take it away. Working without a net. Mm-hmm. Well, today we're going to talk about the December 14 meeting of the full Chicago City Council, where, as you probably heard, Ben, Alderman voted unanimously to approve Mayor Lori Lightfoot's appointment of Annabelle Abarca as 12th Ward Alderman, replacing who? Uh, George Cardenas. Who went where? Uh, uh, tax Board Review or Appeals. All right. So he left a little early in terms of, you know, when his uh, when his term was up. But we won't go there because we've gone there often enough. Um, the vote to replace, uh, to approve Alderman Abarca was 45 to zero with four aldermen absent. Alderman also passed a resolution substituting Ms. Abarca for Cardenas on nine of the committees that Cardenas was on. And that vote was 43 to 2, with Beal of the 9th and Spazzato of the 38th voting against. And I have not learned why those two folks voted against the committee appointments. Have you heard anything about that? I have not. Do not know why uh, they voted. They voted to put her on the city council. Uh, It... I mean, this is classic city guy, but there was a principal reason for not having her uh, be on a committee. It's curious. And, and makes, I don't I, and, I mean, and Beal and Spizzato are not usually, you know, aligned on <laughs> just about anything. So it's kind of interesting. The only line on is that they're, I think, a member of the what I would call the grumpy caucus in the city council. You were known like they're always grumpy about something. I mean, but, you, but despite the fact that you hear Nick Spazzato whenever he gives his uh, his committee report, which is what the um, special events committee, he calls it the happy committee. Remember <laughs> yeah, that? He's always grumpy. Nick, lighten up. Be, be happy in the year 2023, okay? <laughs> uh, no, not going to be happy. Okay. All right. Well, I don't, we, that'll remain a mystery. Dennis, please, we're going to do burn first. One of the most significant measures, aside from that thing, uh, approved at the December 14 meeting was a transit tax increment financing or TIF district that will provide part of the funding for the proposed red line extension from 95th Street to 130th Street. The TIF district will absorb property tax increment from over 7,700 parcels located with one, within one half mile of the red line between Madison Street and Pershing Road. Now, I think this is notable because the tax increment financing will come from land that's between, on the north, at the north end, 0,000 south, which is Madison, and 3,900 south, which is Pershing, while the financing will be spent mostly from 9,500 south to 130,000 south. There were five TIF district ordinances involved in this package, and they passed with a 47 to 1 vote. Absent were Alderman Hairston of the 5th and Garza of the 10th. We're going to hear a bunch of aldermen who spoke prior to the vote, and first we'll hear from Alderman Walter Burnett of the West Side's 27th Ward. Let's listen. Now we're talking about the South Side, and we're talking about money coming from different communities. 
let me say this. More money come from my area than any other area in the city of Chicago to help everyone else's area. And we allow that to happen because we're all in this together. The reason why some folks are going to other communities because we neglect their community. If you neglect their community, guess what? They're gonna keep coming to your community. But if you fulfill opportunities for them to get ahead in their neighborhood, they don't even have to come to your neighborhood because they have all of the amenities and resources in their neighborhood where they don't even have to go downtown or go anywhere else to be able to have a good time and feel safe or whatever the case may be. In order for this city to get ahead, in order for this city to stabilize, in order for this city to be able to be safer, we have to give everyone all around this city opportunities so they can recognize that they are all a part of this city. Now, Ben, I played Alderman Burnett because sometimes I feel like his arguments are a little too subtle for me. And and this is one of those cases. It it sounded to me like he said that people will people go outside of people in disadvantaged neighborhoods, go outside their neighborhood because they ain't got nothing to keep them there. And he's making this in the context of arguing for the red line extension, will, which will allow people to leave their neighborhoods more easily. So uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm missing something. What do you think? All right. Uh, so this is a very important issue and it's got uh, many facets to it. So I'll start by just dealing with the concept of economic development, of spending public dollars in poor neighborhoods in order to create more development, which is essentially what the city uh, is proposing to do with the red line extension uh, to make the point that uh, Alderman Burnett was making. And so as I pointed out in my columns and on this show, there's been a proposal to extend the red line from 95th to 130th that's existed in the city of Chicago for as long as I've lived here. I've lived here for over 40 years. Uh, it has never, uh, the city never got around to doing it. It always seemed like they had another uh, trans- major transportation project they wanted to put ahead of it, including the cockamamie flyover scheme uh, at Belmont, proving that the city of Chicago will spend millions of dollars on the brown line before they drop a nickel. That um, was on the this- red line, purple line modernization. Let's uh, remember the name of that. Yeah, the cockamamie. Fr- I'm sorry, uh, Dave Glowatz and Ken Davis. You know I love you dearly, but you guys, your love for that project is is. Uh, I, I, I gotta, I gotta push back at you, man. Arguably, that they could not have done this red line extension without yeah. first cleaning up the, all the bottlenecks up at the north end of the red line. Yeah, arguably they could have, but uh, of course, arguably is a fancy word. You know what I? You know what I? So anyway, let me go back. So anyway, so once they. F- figured out they couldn't even come up with an excuse for spending more money on the north side with public transportation as opposed to spending it on the south side. They said, okay, we'll finally spend a little money uh, on the south side extending this line. Now, the point that Burnett is making is that without economic development in poor neighborhoods, people leave those neighborhoods. And so if you want uh, to reverse the trend that Chicago has seen that Alden Lowry co- talks about all the time uh, in the city where black people are leaving, where South side and West side neighborhoods are bottoming out. 
then you have to spend some money there. You have to invest in those neighborhoods. And so he is arguing essentially that the red line uh, extension is uh, an investment in the, on the South side. And so that maybe in the years to come, you'll see more development follow it. There'll be uh, uh, more retail perhaps along those subway stops or those L stops. There'll maybe be more uh, housing development in that area. Uh, we could see uh, a, um, just a re-blossoming. That's kind of the argument he's making. It's an argument that I accept. I think it's 40 years too late. I think uh, the cynic in me uh, thinks that the city was holding off until every last black person had left the South side and then they were going to do it. But that's even too cynical for me to think. So I guess better late than never. They're finally investing in this. Uh, so as for, in my opinion, you know, uh, in my opinion, this is a uh, good investment. And I gave Mayor Lori Lightfoot credit, something that does not come easy for me to do these days, Dave. I gave her credit uh, for uh, being the mayor uh, that completed this problem, that made good on this promise that I've been hearing mayors talk about for years and years. Take it away, Dave. You're saying, you just said that they waited till it's, quote, too late, unquote. Say that again. You said that they waited till it's too late. No, I'm saying that the, uh, it may be it's too late. That so many people have left. Like if they had done this in the 80s, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. But if they had, if they had made investments, if the city of Chicago had made investments uh, in these far south side neighborhoods, Roseland, et cetera, and so forth, building these stops, extending the line down there, uh, maybe it wouldn't have been as much dislocation. This is a point that I've argued with Mark Sims so many times. Mark Sims uh, comes on the show, and uh, his attitude is uh, <laughs> as long as well, I don't want to just boil down. A lot of the time, he's just joking. But uh, I do believe that uh, had they done this earlier, we may have staved off uh, some of the economic dislocation that we've had. This is uh, a topic. If you want to hear us go further into it, Alden Lowry and I went at this. We had a long show about this very issue about a month or so ago. Uh, I don't believe it's too late. I'm not going to say I'm not a nihilist. I'm going to say, oh, forget it. Let it just completely bottom out. Let everybody leave and then do it. No, I think um, that my point in saying it may be too late is that it would have been better off had we done it in the 80s when people were first talking about it uh, as opposed to waiting until 2022. But but, but, following, but following Chris Kennedy's uh, narrative around deliberate disinvestment to drive out poor black folks in yep. Chicago, if there were powers wanting to slow walk the red light extension, that's that's what's what the narrative is. That's why it could it's okay to do it now because you know what we got rid of all most of the ones we wanted to get rid of, and yeah. now we can now we can uh, reinvest in that area because then the uh, you know the white middle class or upper or wealthy will benefit from it eventually. Yes, that is I'm not a very. Saying I believe that. I'm saying that's that, the that's a very cynical, jaded attitude that I sometimes have uh, when I'm up late at night, and I think I, I watch how Chicago spends its dollars. Uh, Chris Kennedy, who was running for the de Democratic nomination as governor back in 2018, uh, had a moment of realization, and so many different people have claimed to, to have fed that notion to him. I think three different people have said, "I'm the one who told Chris Kennedy." That. Chris Kennedy lives. I believe he lives in Lake Forest. 
and so when he took a look at finally at the city's economic development spending plans and how they spend the money and where they spend the money and how they starve some neighborhoods and they shower other neighborhoods, he came to the conclusion uh, that this had to be intentional, or at least they had to know what they were doing. And if, uh, if that was the case and they were trying to drive poor people out of Chicago, uh, the, my, my, one of my favorite moments from the Alden Lowry interview, which I cite all the time, Alden, when he first came on the show, a demographer and editor of WBEZ, and he was explaining the migration out of Chicago of black people. And he, it was, this is like, I want to say in 2017, 2018, I had this conversation with the Dave. I go, this is a really dramatic, um, this is a really dramatic migration you're explaining. This is devastating these communities. Uh, why didn't the mayor do something about it? Meaning Mayor Rahm at the time or Mayor Daly before him. And Alden said, a great quote. He goes, well, Ben, I don't think they saw this as a problem. And so it was either benign neglect, which is what uh, from a phrase from the Nixon era where they talked about starving investment uh, in poor black neighborhoods in the hopes that they just like would completely fall apart as Dave was alluding to, or it was absolutely uh, intentional and uh, they wanted to accelerate the departure of black people from Chicago. Uh, But uh, either way, it's 40 years too late in my opinion, if the city sincerely wanted to keep black people in Chicago. And Dave, I think it's pretty obvious that at the, the best you could say is that they didn't care if black people left. Dennis, please, we'll do state next. Well, on that note, let's hear some of the people, from some of the people who support tax increment financing for the red light extension. This piece starts with Alderman Byron Sicho Lopez of the Southside's 25th Ward. Let's listen. There is indeed many issues of equity. I hear some of the concerns that have been brought up, especially when it comes to the use of TIF money. However, I think that public transportation, when it comes to the South Side, especially in a time like this, for workers to be able to come to the city, for us to continue to generate employment across the city of Chicago, this is a fundamental step forward. I hear the issue of funding. The federal government has fronted I believe $2.1 billion. And of course, the responsibility to match those funds. I think the city of Chicago definitely must also urge the state of Illinois to help us to bring more resources in the line. I agree with that. We also got to talk about how we help those small homeowners who are struggling right now with property taxes. We hear that. That's what we today, and I, I talked to Chairman Wagesback to discuss a hearing so that we can address the issue right now in property taxes are hitting really hard, especially the Latinx community. We got to discuss better ways to address that. We are proposing perhaps reinstated the Office of Tax Protection so that we can discuss the inequities within our property tax system. That is indeed something that we also want to collaborate with Corporation Council so that we can go to the state of Illinois with an agenda of how we can match these funds, we can bring more revenue to the city of Chicago, but we cannot vote down these kind of projects, especially when we bring up issues of equity. So I would like to work with administration on how we can discuss the issue of property taxes. TIF funding should be funding these kind of projects. Alderman Tunney. I wanted to dovetail a little bit on Alderman Cicho Lopez's comments about diverse funding sources. As one who uh, was on the council when President Obama signed the federal funding for the red-purple line, there was no such thing as a rail TIF. Normally, these projects are 
50% plus federal, 25% state, and then 25% local match. And we did not have a state budget during that period. The state did give us an opportunity to establish the relative, which actually happened. Now we're again on the South extension, which I'm 100% for, but as Alderman Cicho Lopez says, this is a region economic boost. This is not just the city of Chicago. The county seems to be lost on this. I don't know, you know, where their fund, their economic development funds are and the state, you know, in my opinion, they passed the buck to the TIF and the local property taxes. So I think we need to do more. When asked about this during the hearing, we're working on it. We're talking, you know, the old saying around politics is talk is cheap. We need to make sure they're at the table, both the county and the state to help in this expansion. Because you know what? Hopefully, I think the red purple line is in budget, but God knows what happens over the next 10, 15 years with inflation, the way it goes. We need partners at the county and the state to make this a regional economic engine. I've got a couple questions, uh, but the first one off the bat is Alderman Cicero Lopez mentioned reinstating the Office of Taxpayer Protection. Have you ever heard of that? I think I remember that. I, I That was like from the ROM era, I want to say, or maybe it was the daily era too. It was, I remember trying to get a hold of the person who ran it and never get it. City, city of Chicago? Return. City of Chicago? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was City of Chicago. I, I, um, I can remember... Uh, I think it was a daily era thing because I, I've said this and written about this. Um, I became aware of property tax uh, when my property tax doubled one year. That's when I became <laughs> very aware of the property tax, which was already 20 years ago, Dave. And uh, I remember trying to get a hold of the, the people at this office. And like most daily uh, factotums, they just ignored me, you know, because, um, well, that's just how that was the daily administration uh, and Rahm emulated and Lori Lightfoot's emulating too, where you, you conceal information um, from inquiring people. Uh, on. And so, uh, but yeah, I do. I vaguely remember, I remember their office was uh, on the first floor of city hall. I can recall going into that office many years ago. What did they do? Well, they're there to uh, answer questions about property taxes, I believe, to help you get through, uh, file out, if you were seeking some kind of property tax breaks, uh, you know, various county breaks that they have help you with the, the papers and the documents. Uh, essentially, I believe they were just a construct by Mayor Daly, uh, one, to put some people in the payroll, and two, uh, to give people the notion, give Chicagoans the notion that their government cared about them when it came to property taxes. I could go on and on about this. If we truly, Which is, which is one of the things that would piss them off the most. Yes, because when, particularly uh, at this stage, when I became aware of it, a lot of people in Chicago were becoming aware of it. Uh, when uh, we were, the impact of gentrification uh, throughout the city, particularly on the north side, first became noticeable was in the nineties, I want to say. Uh, and at least that's when I first noticed it. I moved to a very sleepy North side neighborhood that when I moved here, it was mostly factories. Uh, I'm looking at them right now from they're now breweries. I mean, everything's changed in my neighborhood, as you know, uh, and it got very upscale, uh, throughout 
the nineties and neos and a result, the property taxes rose. And so people all over the North side were yelling and screaming about property taxes. And every year they would go to Springfield and demand up more property tax relief. And every year, Michael Madigan would just give them like a one year break. That's it, which would force them to come back the next year, more Madigan talk. And so Daly was doing his part to make it seem like they cared by opening up this office, which was virtually worthless. If you want, to address the problem of property taxes uh, in Cook County and in the city of Chicago, you have to go to what I call acquisition-based property tax. I don't, I don't know if I'm ready to go in the weeds right now with you on this, Dave, uh, but that would fundamentally uh, end rising property taxes as a force of gentrification in the city. But again, go back to the story about the red line. I believe that Mayor Daley and his planners wanted rising property taxes to gentrify neighborhoods and force poor people out. I believe that's what they wanted and they got what they wanted. The North side is vastly different than what it was when I moved here in 1981. And uh, that's in large part because of rising property taxes. And it's happening right now. I saw an article in Black Club. People in Rogers Park are complaining about this, about rising property taxes. People in Pilsen and Little Village, et cetera, and so forth. If you keep the current property tax system that we have, which is based on a three-year reassessment um, on based on home sales, recent home sales, you will automatically have property taxes as a force of gentrification. There's no way to avoid that. You have to fundamentally change a property tax system, go to what I call acquisition-based. Uh, otherwise, it's going to continue. And so Mayor Daley didn't want to fundamentally change that dynamic. Again, he wanted to gentrify Chicago. He talked about bringing more middle-class people into Chicago. And so this office, as I recall, was just like, oh, I'll just create this office and make people think I care about them. But, Oh, it's window dressing as well. Well, well Alderman uh, Sixto Lopez thinks there's some value. It sounds like it might be limited because it's not. It doesn't attack the fundamental problem. Exactly. But both he and Alderman Tunney do point out that past infrastructure projects like this, there was a greater share of federal. Uh, funding than there is for this one. The match for the federal funding on this project is significantly higher than, say, some past expressway projects. Yes. So they so they do they both agree that there's um, that there's a fundamental difference, but um, at this point there isn't any significant movement to change it. No, uh, I can't recall. Uh, like for instance, the extension of the train, uh, the midway line, the, um, when that, that I the orange, the, line. the orange line, that was in the eighties. I believe William Lipinski was the Congressman from the Southwest side, uh, who cut a deal with uh, Ronald Reagan swapped his vote on Contra a <laughs> unbelievable. Anyway, uh, this is ancient history. I'm not certain uh, what the local share was on that project. If there was a local share at all, if it was all funded by the feds. I do know that the local, the feds now see this is quote unquote part of Republican reform. Republican reform says that local government, democratic cities should not have their handout getting uh, transportation aid fully from Congress. These are Republicans. Ladies and gentlemen. You elect them. I don't elect them. And so their attitude is that the locals have to kick in a little bit. And the federal government, some guy in Texas or Wyoming should not be paying for Chicago's uh, transit. 
I fundamentally disagree with that, but uh, MAGA pretty much runs Congress. He's one of the, they're taking over Congress. So this is a byproduct of Republicanism. And, uh, so as a result, the city of Chicago has to kick in money, uh, some matching funds. And Mayor Rahm was the one who came up with the scheme for creating uh, the TIF, the railroad TIFs, uh, to, to, finance, to, to finance the local share of uh, CTA capital projects. And you have to have a functioning public transportation system in a big city like Chicago. It's an absolute necessity. So Mayor Rahm figured he could get away uh, with the, um, the transit tiffs. He excluded the schools from them. So it didn't hit the schools hard. That was a smart move. I got to give him credit for that. Uh, and I think this is the way of the future. I don't see the federal government. I wish it were, I wish it were the case, uh, David, the feds picked up all the money for stuff like this. But even with Biden, they're not heading in that direction. You know, they're still requiring locals to kick in their uh, a local portion. So it's the reality uh, of this uh, of the political world that we live in, which is largely influenced uh, by uh, Republicans. Just for the math, uh, the local match for the federal funds is one point four billion dollars on this progress uh, project. So the feds are going to come up with that much. And the city has to kick in an equal amount of which the TIF district will provide roughly 960 million. So those are the numbers. So speaking of numbers, uh, Dennis, please, we're going to do red next. This last piece we're going to hear on tax increment financing for the red line extension comes not from the December 14 city council meeting, but from two other venues. We'll first hear from the only alderman who voted against the red line extension tax increment financing, and that's Pat Dowell of the Southside's third ward, plus she's the budget committee chair. And we'll hear her speaking at the December 12 finance committee meeting that initially approved the measures. Then we'll hear Alderman Leslie Hairston of the Southside's fifth ward speaking on December 6 at the first Tuesday's event that you, Ben, co-hosted with Maya Dukmasova, and we'll hear, we'll hear Maya questioning the alderman. Let's listen. I think it's important that my colleagues know that I support extending the red line south of 95th Street. I do see its value to the city of Chicago, to the region, and to the state. This afternoon, uh, the talk has been about citywide benefits, but not citywide funding. But I believe that because these benefits are citywide, everyone should have skin in the game when paying for this project. This has to include the entire city, include the state of Illinois and the Cook County. It just cannot be five wards. That's porting on steroids. Typically we port to adjacent tip districts which keep funding within those communities. This takes money from one area of the city and ships it miles away from the residents who generated the funding and live in these communities that still have many issues that need to be addressed. This is not the same as the North Side Purple Red Modernization TIF. All the communities along the North Side Red Line contributed to funding the modernization and all the communities got the benefit in terms of better service, shorter commute times, more trains. 
That's not the case with the red line extension. Five wards pay, but don't nearly see any of the benefits. As the budget chair, I'm also very concerned about taking away billions of dollars from the general fund by creating a tip to pay for the extension. And it's not just $959 million to pay for the extension. According to our own finance department, $13.1 billion will be generated over the life of this TIF taken from city funds. The entire fiscal year 23 budget is $16.4 billion. This would take basically one year of funding away from all Chicagoans to pay for four new stations within a select few communities. I also want to address the misinformation about this project and the way it's been sold to the public. I object to how this project has been portrayed in the media. Not hearing from my residents, the only focus has been on residents of the far south side. Everyone needs a voice in this process not just those who would directly benefit from the extension. That's why I did a survey of my constituents. We received 450 total submissions, approximately 150 from Bronzeville and 300 from the South Loop. And like me, 62% support the red line extension, but 65% do not support using TIF funds from the South Loop and Bronzeville to pay for the extension. When asked how they would benefit from the red line extension, 53% selected none of the above, meaning residents feel that they would not receive any of the reported benefits from this project. And I'm gonna close with a quote from one of my residents. The first question was a yes or no question if you support the red line extension. And he said, I'm actually indifferent. Unless you want my community to pay for it, that pushed me to a no. When you take TIF money from one neighborhood and spend it in another, it really feels like theft. It feels low down and dirty. Uh I'll be voting no on this. There could not be a vote because there was not a quorum in city council. There were not enough bodies in the room to actually have the meeting to make a decision about whether or not the voters of Chicago would see this on their ballot. I wanna hear from both of you what happened with that and for the record, you were in the room. Leslie, you were not in the room. I was not in the room. I was so, in, in the other room in finance, and I was having an argument with the Department of Planning and Development and with Alderman Greg Mitchell of the 7th Ward and Michelle Harris of the 8th Ward uh, because the city had decided that they were going to take money out of my TIF to use something else, and that was what was important for me at that time. So there's all kinds of accusations floating around there that you knew this was going on and you didn't step inside the council chambers to make that quorum. No, because I was in the middle of something and I knew that, and then some of my colleagues you know, came up to me and said, well, you better get in the room. And I'm like, you are not my mother or my father, and you're not going to talk to me that way. Some of them were bullying people, and then they're going to turn on the camera. I'm like, I'm doing my job with my ward right now. So the accusations that you were one of the people that the mayor cornered and somehow bullied you or anything like that. So this had nothing to do with the mayor asking you, hey, Leslie, I don't want you to be in that room or anything like that. No. 
Again, like I said, we were in the middle of a finance committee meeting when I discovered that my TIF money was being taken and nobody had talked to me or my constituents. Now, the reason that I brought Alderman Hairston into this it has to do with the aldermanic idea of what should happen with tax increment financing money. And quite often, as you have pointed out, the local alderman feels that when their ward is in a TIF district, if that TIF district accumulates money, that money should be spent in their ward. Occasionally, it's spent in a ward next door that uh, shares a border with their the TIF district that they're in, and that's called porting. But uh, Alderman um, Dowell, we heard at the beginning, objects to a bunch of this money that is uh, coming from up north being spent down south because she says there are many needs for that money in her area. Likewise, we hear Alderman Hairston talking about the reason that she didn't go into a particular meeting. We won't go into what meeting that was, but where she was arguably needed to uh, help make a quorum for a different issue was because she felt she had to stick around because she saw that people, other people had designs on her TIF district. So there's an interesting sort of uh, similarity there. You did call out Alderman Dowell for this sort of, uh, I don't know what you call it, proprietary feeling about the TIF money in a piece you did for the reader. I didn't hear you um, chastise at all Alderman Hairston for uh, being possessive about her uh, TIF district money. I just wanted you to comment on some of that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and it, it, you're absolutely correct to bring the two together because it's the same uh, theme. Uh, so the point... It, <laughs> I, the, the problem with what with, with Leslie Harrison said was greater than the TIF issue. Just have to say this because was, she was talking about bringing Chicago home warnings and why she didn't. She said that there was a, a dispute over TIF money uh, that she had a, a deal with, which prevented her from being attending a meeting where she would have been the quorum. And that was the issue that with Maya, by the way, great. Uh, that was Maya Duke Massimo, partner in crime uh, that we were talking about. Uh, so I didn't go into the TIF issue there because that would have been a huge distraction and I'm already chastised enough, uh, for taking the deep dive on TIFs. So you had uh, to sit on your hands and I had always, always, always so many times when it comes to TIFs, ever since I discovered this thing, this scam, I have to sit on my hands and just, you know, Ben, there's a time and a place, pick your battles. You don't have to, you don't have to do a TIF deep dive every time, but I hear so much inaccuracies with the TIP program and uh, what Pat Dow in that opening uh, recitation that you played, uh, it was just chalk filled with inaccuracies and distortions culminating uh, in the irony of a resident of a, the near South side, which is the huge beneficiary of this wildly unfair program crying about theft up is down and down is up. And here's number one thing you need to know about TIF, which you will never hear from an elected official, but you will hear it from me because I don't need to run for office and I don't need your votes. And that is a TIF is a citywide tax hike. No matter where the TIF district is, everybody pays for it. As soon as a TIF district is created, everybody's taxes go up. That's all you need to know. That's the reality. Dave Goatz lives in Logan Square. He is taxes will go up to pay for the red line extension. Every bit as much as a resident of Pat Dow's ward. 
for the big Pat difference Bell. being the big difference being Ben is that the money had it stayed in my ward might have gotten back to me somehow with an amenity that I like. Right, like let me finish like my, my, point. Like, like my housemates kids having investment in their local school. Absolutely. So the, the, the what, I play devil's advocate. No, it, let me go back to my point. So Dave Glowatz's property taxes went up to pay just as much as Pat Dowell's. Dennis, the producer of this show, who lives in Pilsen, his property taxes went up to pay for this. My property taxes went up from the north side. Anthony Napolitano's property taxes. It's a city-wide tax hike. Now, we'll get to the point that Pat Dowell and, to a lesser degree, Leslie Harrison were making. Aldermen in the 90s were told to view TIFFs as their own little cookie jar, their own little economic development pie. And so that if a TIF is created in Pat Dow's ward, all the money that goes into that cookie jar should be spent in her money. And she should be like the, the, the quarterback who determines working with in her ward. Yes. She should determine how it goes. That was one of the benefits of the TIF program as Alderman saw it as it was presented to them in the nineties by the daily administration. So a precedent and, was set. And, and when they, created that illusion that all this money was for the South side wards. If it's Pat Dowell, the near South side wards or Dave Glowatz's Logan square ward. If it was just money that their wards would create, they, they collected this, they, they created this situation where aldermen had to support every single TIF deal, no matter how dumb it was, because it's like a zoning change. You vote for my TIF deal, I'll vote for your TIF deal. Even if the program overall was hugely unfair to poor black neighborhoods, aldermen and those poor black neighborhoods were expected to support that, the TIF program, because they got their nickel. The loop got the dime or the quarter, but they got their nickel. And as long as they got their nickel, they weren't supposed to complain. And that's how the TIF program was created. It was a form of patronage, if you will. And it was a way, it was a form of power. And so Leslie Harrison's been in the city council since 1999. This is how she views TIF. It's my TIF. I remember fights with Leslie Harrison uh, and uh, Sandy Jackson, the old, the old older woman of the seventh ward over where TIF money collected or diverted uh, from would pay for which high school. I remember them battling over it and the board of education coming in and sort of adjudicating the whole thing. I think this is a preposterous notion. It's a citywide tax hike. So what we have here is we have aldermen who have been laboring under what you would call a misconception, a false narrative, who are having the bubble burst for them by by the city taking tax increment financing money out of not spending it in the wards where they originated. That's essentially what's going on. Again, it's a citywide tax hike. Okay, so they divert money. From property, that tax, that property taxpayer in Bronzeville that Pat Dow quotes uh, saying this theft, let's presume they take money. I'll just presume it's a man. They take money from his ward, I'll just say that, from his property tax and put it in a, a bank account that uh, Pat Dow and the city are supposed to figure out how to spend. As soon as they take that money, they have to raise everybody else's property taxes to compensate for it. It's a city-wide tax hike. So he's not spending any more than I am. It, it's like him crying of theft. 
You you and I are on the same side of this, right? But the perception comes from the fact that you could see in a particular TIF district the balance that is dedicated to that district increasing every year that the property tax increment is collected for that TIF district. So it creates... You know, the, 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 the argument of that it incre- increases everybody's taxes, that argument aside, there is a visible account that shows an increasing dollar amount in that's dedicated to the properties argue, uh, nominally. That fraud. In that, that's fraud. You just described fraud. It's not an argument. But, like, that's, oh, but that's why I'm the, making an argument and they're making the, an argument. It's that's a fact. Why the, that's why the perception it's, exists. So. A perception of... Persists because it's fraud. It's absolute fraud. They don't put on your tax forms that Dave Gloatz is spending more in taxes because of citywide TIF. They lead Dave Gloatz and Anthony Napolitano and Dennis and everybody other taxpayer in Chicago to remain in ignorance and not have any clue that their taxes are going up because of TIFs. It's fraud. It's fraud. It's deception. It's on your tax bill. The city of Chicago tolerates it. The county of Cook tolerates it. All those aldermen tolerate it because they don't want you to know the truth that TIFs are citywide tax hike. They don't want you to know that truth because you might rebel against them. Well, in this they would case, rather you be ignorant because if you're ignorant, you're easier to control and they can get your money and spend it. And that is a fact, folks. In this case, the only person to rebel is Alderman Pat Dowell. And you could argue, I think you would argue that she's really rebelling for the wrong reasons. She's, she's, she's not, I'll put it this way. She's not rebelling against the fundamental injustice of the TIF program. She's not rebelling against the fact that they conceal attacks. She's not rebelling against the fact that her Southside ward gets a lion's share of economic development dollars while Austin doesn't or Roseland doesn't. She's not rebelling against all the freaking things that are wrong with this 40 year or 30 years scam. She's rebelling against distorted account of how the program works that has somehow got people on the near south side feeling sorry for themselves that has somehow or other convinced taxpayers on the south side near south side of chicago and bronzeville that their money is being stolen from them when in fact their neighborhoods have been the beneficiary of this this scam for 30 years so many developments on the near south side of chicago and in the south loop in and around the third ward were financed by TIF dollars that were paid for by people on the northwest side, on the southwest side, on the southeast side, on the west side. I didn't hear them crying about that. And for my taxes went up to pay for the uh, the development, the South Loop development where Mayor Daly moved. I didn't hear them crying about that. Okay, I gotta, I gotta divert you because uh, <laughs> it's you. See, you go. You go, Ben, you didn't talk when Leslie Harrison said that. Oh, it would have been a half an hour. You kind of know when to hold them. And know I, when to now hold I get them. it. Now I completely get it. Just uh, for 10 trivia points, what are the other four wards besides Dowell's that the Red Line Extension will take tax increment from? Would you like to guess? Uh, which? Uh, so remember, it's going from um, Madison along on the red line from Madison down to to Pershing, which is essentially 39th. So you can send your mind's eye down the red line. And by the way, these are just bank accounts. 
See, I don't even buy. I. It's like I don't even want to give Stop. justice to the argument. These just bank accounts. Which other bank account? My my tax. I would say the forty seventh ward. Because my taxes went up for it. I would say the 35th floor because your tax. I'm not Stop. buying into this. Stop. Not buying into it, ladies and gentlemen. Can't make me do it. Can't All right. It. For the record, it's the 3rd, 4th, 11th, 25th, and 42nd. All right. Well, that's all I got. Let's end it there. All right. Well, thank you very much, Dave Glowatz, Inside Chicago Government. Uh, very enlightening uh, conversation about tips. And you get me going, you push that button and I can't stop. So that's why every now and then I exercise a little control uh, and don't go down the path. Uh, but uh, Dave Gloatz knows how. See, Dave Gloatz has been pushing my buttons for a long, long time. Dave Gloatz runs Inside Chicago Government. We have a special bonus coming up Inside Chicago Government. We have three clips for today's show. There's going to be two bonus clips on Inside Chicago Government. Uh, that Dave and I are about to record. So Dave, tell folks where they can find Inside Chicago Government. Go. That website is chigov.com. Shy, we're shy, but you have to listen closely because we're so shy. And on facebook.com, it's slash inside gov, inside gov. And to look for us on Twitter, it's at chigovt. And as Ben said, there'll be a couple more segments from the December 14 meeting that Ben and I will be talking about at the extended version of this interview. Yes, the extended version. All right, good. Thank you very much, Dave. I also want to thank uh, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of all Illinois, uh, without whom this show would be possible. And as Dave Gloatz and Pat Dow will tell you, it's about the only thing they agree on. Back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D, and the D stands for Demarvelous. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. 